have a great opportunity. When I was a kid, um, growing up in the Assemblies of God, uh, we would have missionaries come and share with us, and they always freaked me out. Um, usually because they talked about witch doctors and uh, strange d- demon beings. Is that what you're going to talk about? Uh, strange little green demons that wan- ran around on the foot of their bed, and they would pray them away and stuff. And I have yet to have that happen, because I am not a missionary, I guess, or something, but... Uh, uh, it always was exciting, and they also brought pictures of leprosy. Did you bring pictures of leprosy? Oh, okay. Yeah, bummer. Um, believe me, it's not what you want to see before lunch. Uh, so, But Deb Prentice is here to share about uh, her work in Zimbabwe and what God has called her to do there, and uh, she's going to come and share with us, uh, and uh, she's been there for nine years. Serious? Nine years. Deb is one of the missionaries that we support. So your monies go to help Deb stay on the field in Zimbabwe. She actually was one of our first uh, missionaries that we took on because uh, when we left the Disciples of Christ, what happened was we had missions monies that sometimes would go to things with with our denomination. We were part of the DOC. And then uh, we left them and we had... Uh, decided that we were going to support some uh, local folks. And so the Wisdom, Simple Wisdom Ministries and Deb Prentice at that, about the same time all left and went off to far off places. And they both came and said, hey, can you help us uh, get out on the field? And we were happy to do so. And so we've been a partner with Deb for nine years then. So 10 years. So bonus. Um, so uh, we are thrilled to have you with us today, Deb. And um, she's going to come and share about her work in Zimbabwe. So if you would welcome her. Thanks. It's good to be here. Um, I have to tell you, though, when Steve said uh, that in ministry you need to be fat, and his F was faithful. Uh, for missionaries, we're told we need to be flexible. And so whenever I go to a different church and I have to deal with a different kind of system and how they do things, it it kind of stresses me out. And then I had a granddaughter when I said, Heidi, you know what? I'm going to share about my ministry, but we have no sermon. Do you think I should do both? Oh, no, Grandma. That's too long. <laughs> So I've already been told what I can and can't do. And as Steve said, it it is amazing. Ten years ago, I stood up here to share the vision that God gave me about going to Zimbabwe, asking if all of you would be willing to partner with me. And um, all right, is it going to work or not? As I said, we have this problem of flexible... Is it? It's not. Okay. As I said. <laughs> so, I do want to thank you. Because you are serving with me in Zimbabwe. It's not just me there doing the work. I consider you to be there with me, serving together. Now, again, I don't think this will work as it's supposed to. 
So, Joyce, I guess you're going to. So, let me ask, how many of you have ever really wanted to go to Africa? Any of you? Mm? <laughs> well, you know what? I consider that you are there, and you're just going to, unless, ah. Okay. So, I consider that you are there with me. It's ministry with us together, partnering. It's not you here sending money or praying. It's you with me there. And I seriously consider you as one of my partners being there with me. And let me put it this way. I need you. I desperately need you. I need your prayers. Of course, money helps, but the prayers are vital. And you know, 10 years ago when I left, I had a very strong prayer group. And Molly's part of it, but I've lost a lot of my prayer team. They kind of went home. So I am constantly wanting more people to truly be a partner with me in prayer because I do need that. I need you. I depend on you. It's amazing how often someone will email and go, what's going on? God woke me up to pray for you. What's going on? So realize that your prayers are vital, and I depend on them constantly. Um, It's just part of being a missionary. And I truly want to let you know that I thank God for you every single day. I couldn't be there without you. Anyway, for those of you who don't know where you are, (laughs) we are in the continent of Africa, in the nation of Zimbabwe. And you see the red dot there. Now, Zimbabwe is a country that's about the size of Montana and has about 12 million people. And I live in the capital city of Harare, which is in the northeastern part of the nation. And it has a population of about one and a half million people. Now, often people think, it's not going, um, often people think that Africa is just bush. But we have many cities in the continent of Africa and in Zimbabwe, we have a number of big cities, and Harare is one of them. And I live in a flat, not in a mud hut. So this is my little home, and I live um, just, you can go on next, um, just close to where I work. Now, Zimbabwe is considered to be the jewel of Africa. So if any of you want to come visit me, let me put it this way. It is one of the most beautiful countries in Africa, and um, and there are lovely, lovely things that you can see. But we have a lot of problems. It is one of the highest in AIDS. One out of every four people has AIDS. We have over one and a half million orphans because of AIDS. When I moved there, the life expectancy was about thirty years. Because they've gotten more people on ARVs, the life expectancy of people there is now about 44 to 47 years. But that's it. We have a problem with a lot of polygamy and immorality, even in the church. It was 
put down that um, Zim is considered to be the second poorest nation in the world when you look at the GDP. Now, you'll have to talk to people like Daniel and Brian and Lance that can explain that to you. But it's only like $528 a year for their gross. Um, what is the D again, Daniel? <laughs> Domestic production. Yeah. So Zim is a gorgeous country with wonderful people, but it has a lot of problems. Now, this is where I work. It's just two blocks down from where I live. That's the Harari Theological College. I went to Zim to teach at a Bible college. Now, people were upset. They assumed I was going in to go into medical um, missions, but God called me to teach the Bible. And when I was working at the mission hospital, the Lord was very clear and said, these people are dying. There's nothing you can do about it. And if you truly want to help Zimbabwe, you need to go and teach the Bible because the only way change will come to this nation is through the church. And the church is a mess. And we teach, most of our students are pastors and church leaders already. So we teach them, prepare them, equip them to go out and do ministry. I'm one of the professors there. I'm the dean of students. I love to teach. And so I also teach a class at church. I lead a home Bible study. And anytime someone gives me an opportunity to get up and teach, I do it. So at our school, we have... Over 75 students. It used to be over 100. Economically, things are poor. Most of our students struggle to pay fees. So we have lost students. And we offer a certificate, a diploma, and a bachelor's degree in theology. And many of our students have gone to get their master's and doctoral degrees in all over the world. We also have extension studies. So those who can't come to Harare can still study many of our... Uh, our classes, which is good. It prepares them. Um, I teach systematic theology, hermeneutics. I also teach mission of the church, Christian education, and spiritual development. But being the dean of students, I spend a lot of my time counseling uh, the students there. And they all have a lot of issues. My class at church... When I first went to Zim, the, the most important thing to me was to find a church home. And the first thing I asked the pastor is, where's the adult Sunday school class? And he looked at me and he laughed and he said, Sunday school's for kids. And I said, oh, well then where do the adults learn? And he kind of gave me, mm, and I said, well, I think you need to have one. And he said, nobody will come. I said, really? So he dared me. So I started a class. You know, you don't dare me. I started a class. And ever since, I've had about 30 adults who will come faithfully after church. Now, I call it Sundays at 11 because church starts at 9. It goes till 11. Once everybody's gone, we meet. And we meet usually for an hour and a half to two hours. And they are excited to come. And they love to come. And so these are just pictures of some of my groups because um, we love to go do it. I lead a home group. I also, like I said, teach whenever I get the opportunity. So that's just my passion, my love, what I do, um, part of my ministry. 
And the reason I do it is because of the command, the Great Commission. And I'm sure you all know it, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Once Jesus died and then rose from the dead, he came back and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always till the very end of the age. Now, I'm always asking people, what does that say that we're supposed to do? What does that say we're supposed to do? There's one word that's the command. If you look in Greek, there's one command there. What is it? It's make disciples. That is the command. We are to make disciples. The others are participles. As we're going, as we baptize them, as we teach them. So how do we make disciples? How do we do that? That's the big question. (laughs) That's the problem. That's what we're always dealing with. But to make disciples, it is very important that we teach people to obey all of Christ's commands. The problem is I find most people don't know what those are. Okay. (laughs) Um, So the thing is, When we are teaching, it's not just teaching a class. We are to teach people how to obey Christ's commands. And that means in everyday life. Not just Sunday when you go to church, but every day. The problem is, and I find that in most evangelical churches, that the church feels that all we need to do is help you and get you to believe and have this mental assent. As long as you're going to confess and say, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came to earth. He died for man's sins. He rose from the dead, and he's going to come again. That's all you need. Well, guys, I'm sorry to tell you, but Satan believes the same thing. He knows that's true. Is that going to save him? No. So what does it mean to be a Christian? Jesus wants disciples who are devoted to following his teaching, to imitating his lifestyle, and to serving him for life. That is what I am trying to do in my ministry, is to help develop disciples. I always like to give you the story of one of my students' lives, because then I think that helps you understand what I deal with. This is a student that I love very much, Julius Mucheregua. He was born in February 20th, 1979. Now, his life probably isn't quite like yours. In his family, there were four wives. Now, that isn't marry one, divorce it, marry another, divorce her. No, these are four wives all at once. And with those four wives, there were 12 children. Now, the problem is when you have four wives, I'm sure you can think about all the issues that might happen. So one of them ran away. Um, One of them was taken back by her family. But all the kids stay with dad because in Africa, the children belong to the father, not the mother. And so there was a lot of issues, a lot of chaos in this family. Now, because Julius's mother was a Mainini, the youngest, the last wife, and he was one of the youngest in the family. He was always being picked on and abused. 
He was abused by most of the family members. Now, we also, as Steve says, when we talk about um, witch doctors, his family worshipped the ancestors, and they went to the witch doctors and prophets for help. So this is what Julius grew up with. Let me explain a little bit about the African traditional religion because that is what everyone in Africa, I don't care if they go to church or not, this is what they're raised, this is their worldview. And in the African traditional religion, in Shona religion, Musikavanu, who is God, created everything. Okay, But he's so far removed that you can't talk to him. You can't have a relationship with him. However, we have the Vadzimu, or the Mondoro, and these are ancestral spirits. So when our ancestors, our parents, our grandparents die, they join the ancestral spirits, they join the living dead. And they are there in your community, and they care about their family. They want to make sure everything goes okay for their family. Now, these spirits can talk to God. So you have to realize, I can't talk to God, but my living dead ancestors can't. So if I can talk to my ancestors, they can talk to God. But to do that, you have to go through a shakiro or a witch doctor, a spirit medium. And the spirits will specifically pick people that they want to use as a spirit medium so that they can talk through them and talk to the people. And so there are many shikiros, witch doctors, nangas, prophets, and they are the ones you go to when you have a problem or you need to give information to your ancestors or hear from them. Now, they also believe in the moroi, witches or evil spirits. And so anything that happens bad, um, it's due to them. No one should die. It doesn't matter if you're 98 or 99. You don't die. Okay? So anything that goes wrong, any misfortune, poverty, illness, and death, it's caused by evil spirits or curses or witches. And so it is important that you go to the Nanga to find out why. And what you need to do. Because if you have offended the spirits and you don't do something to appease them, things will keep getting worse for you. The big issue is people in Africa live in continual fear because if something goes wrong, they never know why. And they've got to find out. They've got to know what to do to appease the spirits. And so this is what Julius grew up with. All right? This is Julius. And after elementary school, uh, again, there was a lot of movement in his family, and he was sent to the Kamusha. Now, it doesn't matter where you live. Every family has their base in the rural areas. And Kamusha is the rural home. And most kids are required to take turns taking care of the cattle, the goats, whatever. For two years, he had to every day take the cattle out and let them graze and bring them back. And that's all he could do. Now, he really wanted to go to school, but he wasn't allowed to because it was his responsibility to take care of the cattle. After two years, he convinced them, I really need to go to school. The closest school was 11 kilometers away, and so every day he would have to walk 11 kilometers there and 11 kilometers back. So he didn't always get to school. Later on, his sister graduated from university and started teaching. 
And so Julius went and lived with her when he got to form three. And the reason was is because then he would be closer to school. Is that going to go to the next one? Um, Now, whenever he got sick, she would take him to the witch doctor to find out what to do, what the problem was. And the witch doctor, when she took him there, said, you know, there's an evil spirit on him that doesn't want him to succeed. So he performed some rituals, washed him, and said, okay, now he's better. He'll be able to go. However, when he got to um, his O levels uh, and then A levels, he started developing severe headaches. And couldn't figure out why. Now, they took him to a medical doctor, and the medical doctor said, it's witchcraft. (laughs) That's the way it is. (laughs) So they took him again to the witch doctors, the prophets, the nungas, to find out what do we do. And when they took him, this first prophet um, did a bunch of rituals uh, to remove the witchcraft for his headaches. And what's interesting, as he did it, he... Julius said he'd pull things out of his head and, and just all of a sudden be able to pull something out of his head. And the first thing he pulled out was a tooth, and he showed Julius a tooth. And then it was dry human waste, and then it was a rock, and then it was some, some unknown object. Now, Julius went back three different times after that, and each time this prophet will pull things out of his head. Now, he didn't have a headache for a while, but they came back. And so he struggled with his A-level exams, but despite that, he was able to get a position in the University of Zimbabwe in electrical engineering. And so he went to university, was studying, but when he got there, his father died from AIDS. And so he had no money to pay for school fees. And because of that, he was trying to figure out something to do. So he became involved as the middleman in selling gold, diamonds, and other minerals to make money for school. And so this is what he was involved with as well as going to school. Now, he went to a Christian um, ministry, kind of like our campus crusade and things. And at that point, Julius decided to follow Jesus. Now, he fell in love with another student. Now, she wasn't a Christian. She didn't want to follow Jesus. But in 2006, they got married and had a little girl. Um, He's again struggling for money. And so we got involved in another business that was involved with trading in counterfeit money. Now, understand, when I got there, one of the biggest things that upset me was I was told, you know... You just have to do these things. The bribery, all of the corruption, that isn't sin. That's normal. And it doesn't matter if you're a Christian, a pastor, or whoever. This is how you live here. So to Julius, there's nothing wrong with what he's doing. In fact, I'm still struggling to try and get him to realize what he was doing was wrong. And it upset me when I moved there how many Christians are involved in corruption. But the bad thing was, is one of the guys in his group got caught, and he sold out Julius so that his prison time wouldn't be as long. Julius was convicted and sentenced to 10 years in prison. Now, prison in Zimbabwe is kind of a death sentence. 
They don't provide food, clothing, blankets, anything. So unless you have family that's willing to come and give you some things, uh, things don't go well. While he was in prison, his wife slept around and became HIV positive. She ran off with a guy and all of Julius's possessions and his daughter. At this point, Julius decided to dedicate his life to Christ. And part of it was because at that time, HTC started an extension program in the prisons. And Julius got to take my spiritual formation class. And it changed his life. And all of a sudden, he realized that there's purpose. Even though I'm in this prison, God has me here for a reason. And he started teaching the other inmates in their school. He made his cell a prayer chapel and told people, if you need prayer, come here. He started sharing the gospel with others and got excited about living again. And so it was neat to see this. And because of his exemplary behavior, he was let out of prison early. Problem is, is when you have a prison record, it's very difficult to find a job. You've been pretty much ostracized by family and friends. He struggled to find a church that would let him come. And so things were not good. And here he is. He felt that God was calling him into ministry and decided that he wanted to come to HTC after taking a couple of our extension classes. So I got involved with him then because now he's there. Now, his testimony to me is awesome because God has worked great things in his life. But how many of you would want to share with people at church, oh, yeah, I've been in prison, I've been doing this and this, and he wouldn't share. Finally, I convinced him, Julius, you need, to, you need to share your testimony. And when he shared with the students at HTC, they embraced him, they loved him, they accepted him, and they got excited because they could see what God was doing in his life. He is a very intelligent young man, but he's very discouraged. He's discouraged about how his life has turned out. He's discouraged about just everything, not knowing what to do. His wife has left him. He has nothing. What is he going to do? How is he going to make money? And so I have spent a lot of time with him. He's very angry, and he wants to get revenge on those who've abused him and swindled him and cheated him and hurt him. And in Africa, this is common. You go to the witch doctor and you have them cursed. And he struggles with that. He struggles because he wants to do that. But I keep trying to help him understand if you're going to truly follow Christ, you need to be able to forgive those who've abused you and hurt you. And you need to be able to teach others the same thing. So these are issues that I deal with Julius as well as a lot of my students because they've all been immersed in the African traditional religion and in the culture. This is what they believe. This is what they live. He can get A's in all of the classes at HTC. He can get A's in his theology, his Bible, and hermeneutics, but that doesn't necessarily change his worldview and help him to understand. His 
Christian faith is very syncretistic, like most of them. He's taken what he's believed and learned from his religion and his culture, and he's put it into his Christian faith and church. And this is a problem. So much of my ministry is helping my students develop a biblical worldview and truly understand and be able to evaluate their life and what they're doing through God's eyes, through Scripture. So please pray for Julius. He's a great guy, but he needs a job. He's struggling to pay fees. He wants to finish up school here. Help him to pray for him so that he can understand God's view of sin. Again, as I went through some of the things he'd been doing, he had no concept. You know, these really aren't things that God would want me to do. (laughs) And help him to develop that biblical worldview And understand what it means to follow Christ. And also, most importantly, pray that he can forgive those who have hurt him and abused him. And be able to now teach others to do the same. I struggle fulfilling the Great Commission. Because I'm dealing with a totally different culture and worldview. And we don't always think about that. We think about going and teaching the gospel, but when you have people with a completely different worldview, it's not easy. It's not easy to help them understand what Jesus means and how to obey his commands in that situation. How can I present the gospel so they can understand and apply it? Those are questions I have all the time. I'm working on a doctoral degree right now in spiritual formation and ministry leaders. And part of that is so that I can figure out how I can help people in a fear-based and a shame-based culture truly grow spiritually. And it's a lot different than here. A couple years ago, these are students from my Sundays at 11 class. Because I can do things different in my Sunday school versus, you know, school school, I started changing. After seven years of teaching them, I got really frustrated. I said, guys, I've had it with all of you. You've been coming faithfully for seven years. I don't see any change in your life. I don't see you discipling people, leading Bible studies, or doing what Jesus called you to do. I'm giving you one more chance. Okay? (laughs) But I changed everything about the way I was doing it. I said, I think part of the problem is you don't understand what Jesus taught and what he expects, and his commands. So we're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I didn't lecture, I didn't teach. What I did is I broke them up in small groups. And we started, and we would take a couple verses. When we were doing the Beatitudes, we did one Beatitude every three weeks. Now you may wonder how... One sentence for three weeks. Well, the first week, I would give them a little background, I would give them cross-references, and i say, okay... I want you to figure out what Jesus meant. Now, please understand, people in a different culture, when they read scripture, they interpret it a lot differently than you. So I made them sit together and work on it and figure out exactly what Jesus meant. The next week, I'd say, okay, tell me, does your culture value and practice what you just said Jesus wants you to do? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, really? Give me examples. So they'd spend an hour and a half, two hours, arguing, fighting, trying to come up. At the end, they'd say, no, I guess we don't value our practices. (laughs) Good, because nobody does. And the third week, I'd say, okay, you told me that you want to be a follower of Christ. 
Now, how are you going to do it when your family, your village, your community does not value this? How are you going to do it? They'd have to spend another hour and a half and two hours trying to come up with, now, how do we live this out? I can tell you it has been so exciting because all of a sudden I had people telling me, I've gone to church for 30 years and I'm not a Christian. I really realized what I've been doing is sin. And they'd never seen it that way before. I have people telling me, oh, I'm, I'm almost that close to God. I don't sin. All of a sudden, now they realize the sin in their life. And what was exciting was they were willing to share it and go to each other and go, what do I do? I realize I am lying every day. My boss tells me to tell that person they're not in. Well, they're right there. And I'm telling this other person he's not here. What do I do? And so they realized a lot of the corrupt practices they're involved in is not what God wants. And it's exciting for me to see them wanting to change. And so they started applying what they learned. And I have seen in the last two years their lives being transformed into the image of Christ. And it has been an awesome time for me as I started to realize different ways of helping people grow and be discipled. Now, we have a lot of issues in Zim, and these are things that I need you to pray about. This is our president. He's 92. (laughs) At the present time, the government is trying to take control of what we teach in our Christian colleges, and we have been um, kind of... mm, We've been told that we must associate with the University of Zimbabwe if we want to continue teaching, which means we will have to teach a secular program. Uh, not something we want to do. The government is trying to control the churches and what is being taught and done, and that they need to be registered. Now, please realize, in my classes and at church, there are always CIO or secret police. And so they can take us at any time. They have come in our church and said, we want to see all your weapons of war. Um, I, it is something that I deal with all the time. The government just mandated that all the students in school had to start um, saying a pledge to the government that they would obey and do whatever. And, um, you know, we say the Pledge of Allegiance, but some of the things in this pledge aren't real good. So we're having issues. The country is in economic ruin. Um, It's ready to collapse. And so... There is 85 to 90% unemployment. People are struggling. The cost of living there is much higher than here. Um, And it's just difficult. Pray about that. I need team members all the time. We've just had a really bad drought. We're going to have a lot of people starving in Zimbabwe. There are, not only can you support me financially, but there are ways that you can support students at HTC for scholarships or other things that we do there. Um, And I'm always needing people to join. And so if you're interested, my table's back there. You can get a card. It shows you ways that you can, and, and my prayer card's there. You can pick up lots of stuff. But I would love to be able to send you my prayer letters. If you don't get it, please sign up. Um, But I need your prayer. Is this going to go to the next one? Pray for me. 
um, that I'm able to get a residency permit. I'm sure all of you heard this has been a problem, and it's not just with me. It's anybody who's in Africa. They try to get rid of us, and they don't want me there, so please pray that I can get my permit and go back. Pray that we may have freedom to, to continue Christian ministry, and um, pray that I'm able to do my ministry and my doctoral studies. A lot of work. Pray that I can understand the culture better. I've been there nine years, and I feel like I'm just beginning to understand. Pray for my family. It's not always easy living on the other side of the world when they're here. So pray for them. I have a little video, if this works, just to kind of give you an idea. And hopefully Joyce can do it. I am with the Evangelical Alliance Mission, or team, and I have been here in Zimbabwe for nine years, and I teach at the Harare Theological College. Well, HTC, or the Harare Theological College, started 60 years ago, and now it's designed to educate and train pastors for the church, not only in Zimbabwe, but in Africa. But I've realized I can teach the basics of Christianity. I can teach the spiritual disciplines. I can teach systematic theology. But unless I reach the heart, it is not going to transform their lives. So my role is teaching, but my passion is discipleship. And after working here and teaching for years, I realized that there's a lot more to discipleship than just teaching a class. And so I have um, spent a lot of time trying to help people grow and mature in their faith. Now, most of the people that I work with are from the Shona tribe, and they have grown up, many of them, immersed in the African traditional religion. And so this is a very much a fear-based and shame-based culture, unlike ours in the States, which is a guilt-based culture. So their worldview is totally different than ours. And most of them, even if they say they're Christians, live in fear. They live in fear of evil spirits and witches, of um, curses and magic. One of the big groups here in Zimbabwe that we deal with is the Vaka story. And they are pretty much an African form of Christianity. Now, that may sound good, but there is a lot of problems. Often they continue to go through the ancestors. They live according to an Old Testament culture, and so they use the Old Testament. But the people that are involved are not allowed to read the Bible. They have to do what their prophet tells them. And I have to continually go for answers on how do I deal with this. Because I know that their worldview, their culture is totally different. And yet when they decide that they want to truly be a follower of Christ, when they want to be a disciple, they need to start developing a biblical worldview. And that is a lot of what my role and my job is. I have seen lives transformed and changed. I have had pastors who have pastored churches for 15 years, taken my spiritual formation course, and said, 
I didn't know that Christianity was a relationship with Jesus. No one ever told me that we could have a relationship with God. I need the support of all of you, your prayers, because it is not easy to learn another culture, to live in another culture, and to be able to disciple people in another culture. But that's my passion. That's what I'm here doing. I just am excited to be learning and growing as well as helping others learn and grow and come to know and love Jesus as I do.